When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Crunching the Numbers, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serves in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Sapolis, your host for today. And joining me is my co-host. He is the man that everybody is after. They all source him out at every single tournament around the world, locally, internationally. He is the man from Data Driven Sports Analytics, the man who counts sheep in his sleep. It is Shane Leonage. How are you, Shane? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Mark, for another introduction, which I do not deserve. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's great, great to be on air, and I'm very excited for the US Open. Uh, you are very excited, and you are working with several players. One is Ons Jabor, who's doing an unbelievable job at the moment. Uh, in her lead up to the tournament and in really good form and one of the seeds in the women's draw. So, uh, you know, an amazing player to work with and you're obviously doing, you know, a, a lot of staying up at night, a lot of scouting, a lot of different things and uh, we're trying to get this one through so you can probably get off off this uh, podcast and actually do some work for it. But, you know, what's it like for someone like yourself, you know, a data analyst at this time of, time of year when a Grand Slam comes up and you're obviously... You know, pretty sought after with a few players. It's the best time of the season. <laughs> um, there's a lot more work that goes with it, but uh, you, the hype around it, the enthusiasm—not just from uh, I think the tennis public, but I think uh, the broader public is aware that there's a there's a Grand Slam starting. So uh, yeah, that brings uh, a little bit of pressure on on the work that you do. So if you if your your player sort of has a loss early in a, a 250 or a, a more uh, junior sort of tournament, uh, it, it's probably not under the microscope as much as a Grand Slam. But uh, at the same time, I, I really enjoy it. I think um, it's my favourite time of the, the year going into any, any of the slams, really. Um, and got a, a good sort of uh, a lot of sleep in the last couple of days. Uh, I know the next <laughs> two weeks, I'm not going to get much. So I might as well sleep <laughs> now. Well, you're the man who eats pressure for breakfast. So I'm not really sure that this is really going to phase you too much. But obviously, you know, we're, when we've started the US Open, um, it's, all, it's all going ahead at the moment and you've got plenty to do. And we thought today we'd take a, a dive into what it's like working in a team during a Grand Slam. It's obviously, like you said, one of the most high-pressure environments going around. The spotlight is on you from both a coach, an analyst, a team, a player... Um, and everything's happening all at once. So we're going to go into that a little bit today and talk about what it's like being in, obviously, the bubble. We're going to use that term, but obviously it's not the same bubble. We are at the US Open. We're sitting in Melbourne right now. But 
What's it like being in the team for the Grand Slams? How do you prepare from a, a data analyst perspective? And what do you actually do during this time? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's it's a it's fascinating sort of um, area, and um, and I think I, I might as well I'll try to answer your question, Mark, with maybe an example of um, of my work last year on the team of Thomas Fabiano. So, uh, with coach Federico Placidilli. Um I think the important point to to note the fourth Grand Slam that we worked together. We, we'd started work in Melbourne. Um, so, but by the time we got to the US, I think the relationship had built and, um, and, and certainly there was some great rapport. I, I communicated 90%, 95% with the coach, but there was some communication with, with the player. So um, I think going into the US Open, we, we were in, in a really good space in terms of the relationship. Unfortunately, leading up to the US Open, Thomas had uh, aggravated a, a little bit of a wrist injury. So it, it did throw a little bit of a curveball in terms of his preparation. He wasn't hitting as much and, and he was about to pull out from the week before at Winston-Salem as well. So I recall at the time I was still, it was 50-50 whether he plays or not. So from a data perspective, I was still doing some work and I was trying to stay in communication with the coach to work out if, you know, did the wrist injury mean anything in terms of what I was doing? A lot of the work really came when the draw came out on, I think it was Thursday or Friday, thinking back to last year um, before the, the, the US Open, um, which started on the Monday. Um, and and we drew Dominic Team, uh, which I might add, we we had some uh, terrible luck at draws. We, we drew uh, Chilich at the French Open, Tsitsipas at Wimbledon, and we got Dominic Team at the US. So <laughs> <laughs> it, w- it wasn't great, but... Um, <laughs> If I'm being honest, from a data perspective, it was probably better because I, it, I, I knew that I had a lot of data to work with, uh, a lot of vision available of the team. Um, so from that angle, it was better, but uh, I don't think Thomas would have enjoyed seeing uh, Dominic on the other side. Well, obviously with that, you know, you're talking a lot about relationships with the coach, with the athlete. It's no different, I guess, from a coaching perspective to our athlete. It's about the relationship you build. You can give numbers and numbers and numbers and the latest stats and how you're going to break down the opponent. But if the relationship and the trust isn't there, even from a data analyst to a coach or to the player, it's the same concept, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember in Melbourne, even though we worked together, I didn't say a word to, to Thomas. And I don't think Federico, the coach, trusted me to go anywhere near him. <laughs> right? it, was, it was a gradual process and, 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 it, and it meant I had to change as well. Just the way I communicated, I think when I started off, I was very data oriented. Uh, and if you put that in front of uh, Thomas or any player for that matter, you lose them right there and then. So it's, yeah, like you said, you've got to build that relationship. You've got to see, I suppose, how the other person interprets it. I always still want to have the coach's lens in between. I think the success that I've had is, uh, has been when that sort of layer was always there. We're very fortunate by the time, particularly after the results of Wimbledon, when we got to the US Open, there was a trust in it. Uh, Thomas knew what we put in front. We, we'd done sort of that sort of rigor had gone into it and, and thought process. So when he looked at it, he was confident what was sitting behind it. I think it's a really important point you made that you have the coaching between yourself and the player because it needs to be a filter. And obviously the coach knows the athlete better than anyone and can interpret the information that they're given. Obviously the last uh, week you've had really good success with um, Ons, um, Ons' team and working at Cincinnati. She did a great job there. Uh, probably should have beaten Azarenka after having uh, some set points in that first set and then obviously fell apart in the second a little bit. But can you take us into the world that you have, obviously, leading up? We talked last week on the show about, you know, how many matches players need to peak for certain events. You know, how, how was Ons lead up? What did you talk about kind of data-wise with 
with the, the team and then obviously leading into this US Open, what's been the philosophy and what you've gone through to set her up for success here? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we had, uh, I suppose, uh, and I won't go into all the detail, but we, we had a certain amount of matches that we wanted her to, to play, uh, whether it was uh, through competition or, or, or matches. Um, and then um, I think the biggest uh, curveball, uh, she'd been practicing and training quite hard but hadn't really played any competitive matches. The only match she had before uh, coming to the US was a, a match at the UTS at the Moritz Blue Academy. And, and that, that, that was, whilst it was a good hit out, it was different scoring. It was, it was very different. Playing, I think, Lexington was a bit of an unknown and, and she did um, take maybe a while to sort of get into it. And, and I think she, she had a, a decent run there, went to the quarterfinals, unfortunately lost a really tight one to, to Coco Goff there. But there, there were areas in, in that that we, we, we knew she still had to, to work on. Um, and, and I think Cincinnati... It was a bit of a focus, although Cincinnati um, going far was definitely part of the plan. Um, the focus was the US Open. So that, there were a few things that we we were trying um, um, and and, and, that, and really with that sort of look forward to the US Open to, to sort of peak there. So, so with that, and this is, and I want to know this from my perspective as well, was the talk mainly around um, data analysis for the opponent? Was it data analysis for the athlete to improve on and, and lead up to the US Open. How was the, the situation, obviously, without going into detail, was it more geared towards, you know, winning at that event and getting the matches you want? Or was it geared towards preparing the game to be obviously match hard and ready to play the US Open and do really well? Yeah, I think I think for the two lead-ups, I'm happy to say that the focus was majority on ons. I think for the US Open, we're probably tilting a little bit more towards the opponent, uh, doing more scouting in that sense. But even still, a lot, a lot of it's, you know, the KPIs that we want are set for ons. Um, and then we try and apply that to the opponent's weakness. But yeah, lead-up Lexington and Cincinnati, I'd say the focus was on getting ons to the level we want her to be for the US Open. And what kind of data do you obviously give to the coach what what goes into that uh, over last week and then now how does that change for this week in terms of you know how much information are you giving you know what what are they taking from it what do they want uh just to give the listeners a bit of an idea as to how much information you actually get for these coaches and athletes yeah so we're, we're collecting um data um from, from matches so uh, basically every shot that's hit we're collecting um you know the direction of shot where they hit the ball from, where it lands, where the, the player was positioned, um, and then you get your sort of the the box score stats as well. So you can calculate things like under pressure how a player behaved. And, and in terms of what we present, I think each player that I've worked with or a coach that I've worked with, we've, we've had something slightly different and tailored towards the player. So for Ron's, I'm not going to go into all that detail, but there's four or five things that for her that are really important to her winning matches. So they're the things that we try and pull out in terms of sort of reports for her. And then even in when we're doing game plans for opponents, the theme will be around those four or five things and how we can use those four or five things to disrupt the opponent and, and win points against the opponent. It's interesting because I think we've talked about this before on the show where we, we really go into playing to your strengths. I think that's from a coaching perspective, that's one of my philosophies is ensuring my player plays their strengths and hitting their KPIs. And then, then there's a bit of a focus, which I, I call the 80-20 rule. 80% is focus on your KPIs, get those right. And then 20% is focus on the opponent. You know, So you don't need to have a list of 30 or 40 things against the opponent you're going to play because you still have to perform your skill and, and execute what you need to do to play to your best tennis. So I guess that's a really important part about 
you know, your job is to not just give every bit of data that you're collecting, but to hone it down into what the player and the coach really need to perform. And at the end of the day, it's about performance. It's about win-loss. It's about the player getting points and money to be able to be successful. And if you can't do that, it becomes really hard. Yeah, and it was, I mean, going back to that example from last year um, with Fabiano against team, it was, there was three themes really to all the game plans. And it was, you know, one, which is the most important, what Thomas does when he wins versus when he loses. So looking at the yeah. things that influence that. The second, which was less importance, was what team does when he wins versus uh, when he loses. And then three, sort of bring it together. What can we get when Thomas is winning and apply to when Dominic is losing? So trying to build a game plan around those three things. And then, uh, yeah, we used a lot of positional data last year. So uh, I'm happy to share that in the analysis, we, we found sort of five locations on the court where Dominic was less influential from or, or more prone to errors. And, and, and it was around then looking at the five and go, well, what can, Tom, can Thomas actually hit those spots? And, and four of the five he could. One of them was just not, uh, he couldn't really hit that with the pace required to, to, to cause any damage to the team. So the focus was around, okay, the, the, these other four spots, um, how can we put Thomas in a situation where he's hitting those spots? Um, and it's not necessarily you hit it straight away. You, you might need to sort of set up and build the point before you go there or you need to get Dominic on the move into that spot. Um, and, and we sort of use the data approach to, to build a, a plan around that. Yeah, and it's interesting. You, you talked a little bit there about Thomas couldn't hit the ball hard enough to be able to do that. So obviously the location's important. The speed or the spin or the bounce is really important as well. And, and then obviously where the player's coming from, are they set in that spot or are they moving? You know, and these are the sort of things that we need to look at as, as coaches and, and analysts as well in terms of breaking down an athlete. So obviously you've got a, a big job ahead of you over the next few days, weeks, hopefully Ons can get right the way through. You've got a few other players that are in the draw as well. So it's going to be quite light, late nights, obviously, with the time difference. Um, and then building your reports and sending it to the coach is going to be a challenge as well to get that, obviously, pre-match, post-match, and then obviously for the next matches. That's the hardest job of the data on us, I guess. Yeah, you've got to move on pretty quickly. Um, I remember last year when we we had that win on, on team. It was uh, very quickly you're looking around to some coaches. Uh, I don't know you're in this boat, Mark, where you, you just move on. You get, we'll do a tournament review at the end, but it's time to focus on the next match. Um, other coaches, they want to do a review immediately. So within the next hour or two after the match, after they've done their warm downs and uh, probably press, that they want to talk about what happened. Probably got a, a couple of coaches that are in that that, that boat, which uh, means a bit more work for me immediately. But it's, uh, yeah, as an analyst, you've got to sort of uh, work towards the the rhythm of the team. I really want to get some insight as well, Mark, from uh, your, your time uh, coaching at a Grand Slam. And I'm keen to see, I suppose, how you approach it, how you deal with the, the day off, you know, things like practice. If your players in singles and doubles, I, I'd love to get some insight from you. Yeah, I think the, the interesting part about the Grand Slam is the one day on, one day off concept. And um, you obviously got to really, I found that I had to really have the athletes I was working with peak at the start of the tournament because, you know, Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer can probably leave their runs a little bit late and find their rhythm in early parts of the tournament. But with the players I've been working with over the past, it was important to try and get that first off win. And that win was probably more mental for, for the athletes to be able to get over the line and, and, and get over that hurdle. And give them a bit of confidence. And once the confidence and adrenaline's pump, and then, you know, you can pretty much build on that. But it, it is a different kind of tournament because, it, you know, that day off, you've got to keep the players engaged, but you don't want to fatigue them. You know, you've got to do enough recovery. 
you know, if they had a long match, you want to just do a real light hit in the afternoon, maybe of the next day. There's so many different things and being so individual with your athletes is important. Um, you did touch on before, you know, I'm one of the coaches that de- definitely moves on after matches. So once you've got a win, there's no point reviewing it. You, you know, you review maybe a couple of things about, hey, I thought you did this really well and we're going to take that into the next match. You know, I think you did that really well, we'll take it in. But, you know, at the end of the tournaments where a big review gets done as to how you prepared and what kind of things come from it. You know, I'm really big on moving forward because at the end of the day, there's no point looking back. You know, your opponent's waiting for you next up and you've got to be prepared for that. And I think it's a matter of just managing your, your player and it's all about player management, it's all about people management and that's basically where I sort of sit in terms of any tournament, not just a Grand Slam. So, you know, it is hard, you know, do you keep your player, you know, switched on in the day off? Do you keep them switched off? Do you go and do something on the day off? Um, do you keep them engaged? Do you keep them relaxed? And it's all dependent on the player's individual personality. And that's basically where I sit on that. And, you know, I'm big on celebrating as well. So celebrate the win, enjoy it. Um, and then, but move on pretty quickly. A really important part of my coaching is there's no looking back. It's always about looking forward and, and what we can do to be better. So uh, it is it is a different kettle of fish because, you, like you said, the pressure is on you. You know, the press is on you, especially if you've got a player that's from that country and you know, everyone's looking and the eyes are on, on you and, and the athlete. And, you know, you want to make sure that they're, they're comfortable and they're, they're happy and they're relaxed and they're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And I'm keen as well just to hear, I know you've coached some great great athletes in the, in, in the doubles as well, but uh, the ones that are doing both singles and doubles, how, how do you sort of manage the training schedule for that? Yeah, it's hard because a lot of the athletes I've coached need to play both because it's financial for them. So, you know, it's really important to, to have that and to understand, you know, that they need it. Um, obviously, they generally schedule the doubles the next day, especially if you're in Australia. We got pretty good, pretty good scheduling, which was nice. Craig looked after us really well at the Australian Open. Um, but, you know, it, it, is, it is a challenge because you don't want the player to fatigue, but at the same time, they need to make money. So you've got to find a balance between that. And, you know, I think if you've, if you've prepared your athlete well enough and if they are fit enough, then it's, there's no, no problem, no issue. And, and generally, the doubles can give you some pretty good form as well and pretty good rhythm and, and range and, and confidence moving into the next day. So... Yeah, it, it's never easy for a coach. Uh, it's never easy for the player. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's what the player needs, what the player wants, and what you can do for that athlete to be the best they can be every single day. And, and that's generally my job, and it's generally your job as well, is we need to come together and find a good balance. So, uh, yeah, it's a, definitely a good question. I reckon we've got about four episodes we could break that into. But, you know, uh, with the US Open right here, right now. It's a very exciting time to talk about this because it is interesting change to the US Open is the bubbles and not many, I guess, parts of the team can really go with you. You can't take, you know, the entourage of 20 people as we have in the past and no crowds. It's going to be a different look. It is a different look as, as we look around at the US Open and what it's, what it's bringing. But, you know, it's going to be exciting for her this week and Hopefully she can get deep in the tournament as she did in Cincinnati. Yeah, looking forward to it. By the end of the week, we'll uh, we'll uh, hopefully have some good news. Well, that's why you're on the big bucks, Shane Leonage. You are the most sought-after data analyst going around. Thanks so much for your time, your research. At this time, obviously, with the US Open right here, and you've got about 4,000 players in the draw. So it is challenging for you. I understand that. But thanks so much for everything that you do for the sport of tennis. And uh, go and check him out at Data Driven Sports Analytics all over social media, all over on the website. Brilliant website, brilliant information. He's got a great team around him. And, uh, yeah, if you want the latest uh, data in your game, go and see him because he's got it all. Thanks, Shane, for joining us. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. That's been another episode of Crunching the Numbers. Don't forget, you can also check out the First Serves weekly show with Brett Phillips in the huddle and Aussies only 
I've been Master Falls from the Tennis Menu and the Melbourne International Tennis School. Check us out. We've got great things happening right across our social media platforms. Hopefully you enjoy the US Open. Stay up late if you're in Australia. Obviously, check it out if you're all over the world. It's great to have tennis back at the forefront of our minds and in front of our eyes. Thanks very much. That's been another episode of Country Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.